You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? We've got a got a pretty hefty serving of stupid for you on the show today. I would stupid, say. Stupid. Yeah, I was going to say we got a lot of stupid. It's got a lot of stupid going around. Um, not the least of which. Uh, some of the um, pitching decisions that went into the Orioles dropping their second consecutive series in our homestand. Well, um, but hold on, hold on. I was, I came in, as you know, Smith, this morning, all fire and brimstone about how this is uh, the end of all things. But then you told me about a conspiracy theory that conveniently allows me to place blame <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> Right. Well, you know, we have uh, on this podcast been very pro Brandon Hyde um, over the last little while, at least in his ability to um, get the right notes out of this um, ragtag group of dummies. Um, but the uh, the best way that there that Twitter has found to not make Wednesday's loss Brandon Hyde's fault is to suggest that this fella who is responsible for booking Orioles travel who um, conveniently got fired sometime either on Wednesday afternoon or Thursday morning, messed up the travel options for Cole Irvin to be returned to the club. Um, and that's why we had to go through that absolutely murderous, murderer's row of Voth, Voith and Perez and whoever else. We let let us not forget there. the the Aiken of Keegan Aiken. Ah. <laughs> The the uh, the Aiken still in my heart, <laughs> and you know you really you put you put eight runs up on on uh, Bieber. You gotta you gotta win that game. You gotta win Did, that game, Sam. I'm listen. not I'm not a you know 15 games over 500. Um, y- y- it's a long season. You're allowed a few wobbles, but you score eight runs against their ace. You gotta win that game. I'll take it a step further. You score eight runs, you should win. That should be enough to win a game. <laughs> Period. End of sentence. Yeah. <laughs> like I was mad. Against anybody. I was mad in the Yankees series when we built a 4 nothing lead against Garrett Cole. And, the, you he know. Gave it all back. <laughs> playoff teams. And when we scored five runs against Otani in, uh, in that ill-fated Grayson Shohei showdown. Or when we beat up um, the last team to get to Gossman. Exactly. Here's, I think, what we're what we're really circling around, Smith, is this vaunted bullpen of ours, which gets no shortage of love in the baseball press, and often gets sort of named as the only thing people can figure out for why we are good. <laughs> They're basically like bullpen and Adley question mark. <laughs> and it's like, have you seen the Anthony Santan tear that is happening right now? I mean, uh, just, just for, just for everyone to consider for a moment so far, um, well, well, Aaron Hicks is batting a thousand. So <laughs> can't, can't sneeze at that. Yep. Um, I, I, if, listen, if he bats a thousand, I will eat all of the frantic texts I sent you. <laughs> on, 
Thursday. Um, but recent performance of this bullpen has not been strong. It has not. Well, so is it, is it that it has not been strong um, longitudinally or is this just, um, you know, the last two weeks? I think, I think before the last two weeks, they were still pretty, pretty good. Yes. I mean, I'm probably oversampling in my mind. Yanir Cano has been mortal in his last couple of outings. He's still been very effective, <laughs> but he has been mortal. He's been doing things like giving up a run or giving up a couple of hits. And it is probably not a sustainable strategy for an entire season to need him to be a Marvel a adventure. Guaranteed three outs <laughs> in the eighth. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... You know, I, I think it's little things. It's like, I feel like CNL Perez is pitching this year probably a little bit more at his true talent level. And given the amount... Which is not we, high. Well, yeah. And, you know, he probably makes a lot of sense as a lefty specialist. But because of the way we use our bullpen, he's having to face a lot of right-handed batters. And he's overexposed. Um I think Mike Bauman in short spurts can be really dominant, but when he gets overexposed, it doesn't go well. Um, yeah. Brian Baker, when he gets overexposed, it doesn't go well. And I'm hopeful that this, this shift has somewhat coincided with, in the case of our, I guess we only have four starting pitchers now. Most of them are starting to give us a lot more length than they were previously. In particular, yeah. uh, like Gibson has been pretty consistent with that, but Bradish is starting to give us a lot more length. Kramer starting to give us a lot more length. So hopefully that is happening at the right time. Cause I think all that's going on is that the pitchers in the bullpen are tired because mm -hmm. they got ridden so mm -hmm. hard in the first. Well, I mean, which is, which is one of those, uh, Right, they were getting they were getting ridden initially because starting pitchers couldn't stay in the game, um, and now they're getting or this week, you know I think I think it is fair to uh, say okay if you've got a tired bullpen and a day off the next day, um, do whatever you can to give them you know two full days to rest and recuperate, uh, and instead we used every single arm that was in our rotation except for Bautista and Cano and yeah. everybody had to throw two more innings, which is, you know, um, easy for us to say, like, I don't know who they should have started. Uh, and Irvin did pitch very well that day for Norfolk. So <laughs> you would have liked to, you know, give him a shot against Cleveland, but, um, I mean, it, Cleveland it, is it, basically it, it running. Feels, a it feels like the managing of a precious resource has suddenly become a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I, it, it is, somebody was saying to me yesterday um, that they were saying like, well, how do, how do Orioles fans feel about Brandon Hyde? And I was thinking about that. And I, I tell me if you agree with this, but I was thinking what, what's most interesting to me about the way people seem to feel about Brandon Hyde is that I don't generally get the sense that people have super strong feelings about him. Um, 
I think all my feelings about Brandon Hyde are all based on very strong, like my reaction to very strong feelings about Brandon Hyde. Yes. I have, I have no original feelings myself. Uh, <laughs> all, all of it has to do with people like just absolutely throwing him under the bus on Twitter and me being like, what? well, yeah. Come, yeah. come on. He's not, he's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. Well, it does seem like the one thing that seems to bring the rage out of the woodwork for Hyde is bullpen management. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think it's, it's like the, I think everybody knows that it's the thing that we kind of ride or die on. Um, and, or, or it's, it's purportedly the thing we kind of ride or die on. And, um, it, but also I guess before, is, before this week, I don't know what we would have had him do. Like, yes. I can't. I can't think of a lot of like, you know, if 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 he had if if he hasn't been, you know, maybe he she shouldn't have put Michael Givens in in this situation. But if you don't put Givens in, then you got to put Aiken in. Or if you don't don't put yeah. Aiken in, you got to put Voith in. It's not like there's like a like if all he ever did was press the Yanir Cano button, which for a while it felt like that's what he was doing, then <laughs> Yanir Cano is going to get exhausted. Yeah. Like there's, there's no, I don't, I, there, there are not a lot of alternatives being suggested to me, maybe which again, which is why I sort of glom onto this Cole Irvin theory, because this is the first time where I'm like, oh, well, obviously what we should have done is this other thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. instead of what we did do, which didn't work. Like previously, I feel like this is very much hindsight is twenty twenty on those few games when the people get overused or overserved. Yeah. Well, it, the thing it's making me think about is I, I agree. Like, um, what would we have him do? Like, <laughs> what would we have him do? Um, there's only so many pitchers out there and Ryan McKenna. <laughs> Like, <laughs> he only has a limited set of options. And one of the things this... They really did feel for a while that uh, Thursday was going to be... A, I mean, Wednesday was going to be a Ryan McKenna game, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, he couldn't have done much worse than <laughs> the other guys did. Um, but one of the things that's making me think about is how much of the job of a major league manager, I think, honestly, boils down to injury risk management and that there are some days where you you have to make this really gross calculation where you're like you know what either I can't use that guy today because he's hurt or like he's sick or if I put him in today his elbow is going to blow out on June 20th and then we're really screwed for the rest of the season two months yeah so I kind of have to sacrificial lamb both right now and there's actually no other choice and yeah i think it's very easy as a fan to go we well, got to push all your chips in to win that one game but if we got to june 20th and everybody was gassed and there were no more reinforcements left we would then turn around and be like well you shouldn't have used all those guys so early in the season right right i and 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 that to me is why I can't I can't take his current like I, I can't take a lot of the um usual critiques of Hyde all that seriously. It's like mm-hmm. I, 
that there's, I mean, maybe this is actually more of a critique of Mike Elias, who uh, probably, if you read the tea leaves of um, Perez's year last year, you could have seen like there's a regression coming here. Um, but maybe the most important thing here is like Brandon Hyde is getting the getting dumped on for something that is maybe more about not having enough good options. Um, you know, this maybe gets us to uh, another thing I, I, I wanted to bring up, which is now we are what Orioles are 35 and 20. Um, absolutely in contention this year for whatever you wanted to find. Third best record in baseball, Um, which is nothing to sneeze at. And charging towards or starting to um, take shape around trade deadlines and acquisitions and what does it look like to be a buyer? Um, It seems like with the different moving pieces that are the current bullpen, I agree with your assessment that some of these arms are good arms. Um, but they need to be under, you know, not so exposed. Um, and I know I have been on this podcast uh, calling for a starting pitcher for a while, but I wonder if um, actually the thing to do might not get to get a few more <laughs> inning eater guys who give Hyde more options, give him more space to play around, and give him more ability to draw the best out of the folks we have. Yeah, I mean, it would be very interesting if at this trade deadline we ended up making like the reverse of the Jorge Lopez trade <laughs> that we made last year, like, um, you know, sending off some underperforming prospect to get somebody like Jorge Lopez back. I don't think the twins are giving us back Jorge Lopez. He's pitching very well for them, but um, it would be interesting if, if something like that happened. But since you mentioned the trade deadline and, and where, what we need to bolster, what we, um, what is working well, I was very interested to read the other day, the athletic did uh, one of those columns where they're like, here's the, the thing that each team is doing that you may not, have realized they're doing particularly well or particularly poorly. And for the Orioles, it was hitting with the platoon advantage. And we are at or near the top of the league in largest number of at-bats taken with the platoon advantage. And I had not noticed that. Like I had, you know, when Cedric Mullins was a member of the lineup, they were doing that thing where like he would get moved up and down, like between the one and the nine spot against lefties and right. Gunnar Henderson hasn't been playing as much against lefties, Adam Frazier, these sorts of things. Um, and I know some of that got screwed up when Arias was hurt, but I don't think I had really noticed how carefully that was being managed this year, but I do. That's the kind of, granular analysis that to me is that's more interesting than oh this is a bullpen team um it's more interesting to me to consider the idea like well actually wait a minute come to think of it rutchman and santander are both fairly effective switch hitters which means every time they come up they have the platoon advantage um 
we've been doing maybe a little bit better job of helping out hitters like Adam Frazier and Ryan O'Hearn in situations like that. Maybe that's why Ryan O'Hearn has been so clutch. Um, and that struck me as like, that's the kind of lineup management that historically with the Orioles didn't happen, either because we had a more old school approach during, I love Buck, but during the Showalter years, he was not so much a platoon advantage guy. And then in recent years, it was like, we just don't have the guys to mix and match. So I don't know. What do you, what do you make of that? Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't, I also had not conceived of it at all. That's really interesting. Um, and the, uh, statistical revolution. Um, and if you, if you have enough horses to only put your Ryan O'Hearns in, in situations where they have an advantage, then they can do great things. Um, but I hadn't realized that we were also not like overexposing our, our battery as well. And, and that's sort of like, I know a lot of Orioles fans are desperate for us to call up, um, yeah, name your favorite um, hot streak prospect. West of Burke, the moment. West Burke, West <laughs> Burke. Um, but, you know, if that person, is, is, is West Burke a switch hitter? I don't think so. But he is on like a 45 home run pace. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. He's, he, he, he deserves to be at the bigs. But I, I'm, I'd be curious to see if like part of the calculus there is – you know, mm. you get somebody in who doesn't give you flexibility in the ways that you want, but does, yeah. you know, and, 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 and is also someone who like, you know, whenever we sit Gunner, everybody is upset because he needs at bats and he needs to develop or needs to get better. Yeah. Which is true. But maybe he also at this point in time needs to get in line with what the rest of the team is doing, which is be put in positions to succeed because of matchups. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that might be something that is more palatable, I guess would be the right word, to a um, a veteran who has been it and done it and less palatable to someone who is on a 45 home run pace and feels as though the world is their oyster and right. would expect sort of to come up and play every day and bat five. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. And And I mean, certainly that's, uh, the scenario that I, I, I'll just speak for myself that I am imagining is that like Jordan Westberg comes up and it's like, never mind, everything's fine now. Uh, he's just going to Mike Trout us the slot. rest of the way. <laughs> so, which is an interesting, like, um, you know, one of the things that happened in May um, that got sort of pointed as you look at itself, so, isn't it fascinating how much we look at months as baseball fans, even yeah. though they are entirely arbitrary distinctions <laughs> and periods of time. Like, what a weird choice to decide. Yeah. Like, they don't even have the same number of days. What, what are we mm-hmm. doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, as May turns to June, um, Mateo and Mountcastle are both like Yeesh. struggle bussing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know... I think that the talent is there with Mountcastle. I think he's not going to turn into Chris Davis. Um, but do you keep rolling him out? I okay. I'm glad we're talking about this. I I realize we are. We tend to. This is not necessarily a hot take program. Uh, what 
I'm a little concerned that Ryan Mountcastle is actually not good. Oh, that's a hot take. I, I, that's a hot take. But it, hear me out. I, what is the difference, really, between Ryan Mountcastle and Mark Trumbo? Uh, about $17 million a year in annual salary. <laughs> yes, I, correct. And the only other thing I would add is, like, Mountcastle is definitively a better defender. But yeah, he's a good first baseman. He's a good first baseman. And that's not nothing. That is not nothing. But I, at a certain point, I get a little tired of the like, wow, oh, well, he just has such bad luck. He's always hitting the ball hard, but it's right at somebody. At a certain point, I'm like, well, if that always happens. <laughs> right, I, right. I, well, so I don't know I, I if, think, it's, think, if it's just all, bad luck. First of all, to critique our, I mean, look, I don't want to go back and um, uh, relitigate litigate an episode. Certainly not with uh, <laughs> Nick, without Nick, Judge Markovich here. Yes. But actually, the batter that has had the most trouble with Mount Baltimore is Ryan Mountcastle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is statistically the person who has hit the most home runs that were not home runs and were in just loud outs um, since that change. And so I think that there is some, like, there is something you can credit there, which is, you know, bad luck. Um, And his approach there was working for him before and suddenly is not working because someone changed the confines of his home park. Um, Tough. Probably you'd like him to adjust a little bit. What I'm actually more concerned about is not the 107 point three miles per hour off the bat that goes screaming into the glove of the left fielder. I'm more worried about the like four pitch strikeouts that have suddenly started to rear their ugly heads uh in here in the second half of May. Like yeah. he's looking he's looking a little lost in regards to yeah. sliders low and away. Um not quite like Chris Davis, where he's just sort of throwing the bat out there and hoping against hope that he makes some contact to foul it off. But, like, not a lot more confident. (laughs) I agree. I agree. I don't know that... Look, I like Ryan Mountcastle, like, as a dude. He seems like like he's very popular in the clubhouse. His attitude is great. Like, um, he seems like he's a great teammate and does obviously make some contributions but i see the other young players on the team constantly like tweaking and adjusting their game mm. when things mm-hmm. aren't working like if you look at what gunner henderson has done for the last month ish it's impressive his average is up 30 40 points he's still striking out a lot but he like the first six weeks of the season, he was walking all the time. And uh, he has decided to try to make more hard, to swing more, make more hard contact. His walk rate is way down, but unequivocally, he has been a much more valuable contributor to the team. He has made adjustments because Mm -hmm. something wasn't working. And with Mountcastle, I get the sense that he's just basically always doing the same thing and hoping that he goes through enough stretches where enough of the line drives either go over the fence or find a gap that it all evens out in the end. And that's less, that's like 
old regime Orioles. That's not new school Orioles. Right, 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 right. That's not matchups. That's not sitting him every third day because he's historically bad against this team or historically good against that pitcher. Um, you know, that's not just sort of running him out there every day in the five hole and accepting his three strikeouts and allowed out. Yeah. Isn't great. Like I, if you would indulge me, I am just very, very quickly going to look at something. So if we look at his, at Mount Castle's platoon splits. All right. Against lefties, Listen to this, Alan Smith. Against lefties, Mountcastle's triple slash, 311, 342, 676. Seven home runs. That's not bad. Tw- <laughs> no. Seven home runs, 22 RBIs. These are, those, are, those are Acuna numbers, right? Against righties, 196, 233, 327. Okay. Not very good, right? Now I'm going to pull up Ryan O'Hearn's platoon splits. And obviously O'Hearn has not had as much playing time. O'Hearn against righties, 282, 341, 513. Why? Like, (laughs) by by these numbers, O'Hearn should be starting at first base against right-handed pitchers. And Mountcastle should be the short side of the platoon but mm-hmm. devastating mm-hmm. when he bats against lefties. Like, yeah, I mean, or, this is uncomfortable, least, but it's real. <laughs> at least once a, you know, once a, if, if you're going to have three right-handers in a series, at least once a series, he's the guy on the bench who, when they bring in a left-handed reliever, you pinch hit for Mountcastle and he puts one into the Harbor. It's just, I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that like I, it's the one it's the one it's interesting to think about because it's it's sort of the one big um red spot in regards to the not going all in on the sort of like Mike Elias tinkering yeah. methodology. Well, and the thing that frustrates me about this one is like this isn't one where we need to make a, tra- a trade or something like mm-hmm. this. We have these numbers are real and are in front of us and of it. Like we could make this change in this series and it mm-hmm. seems like it would make the team measurably better right away to go with mm-hmm. a, with an O'Hearn Mountcastle platoon at first base where Mountcastle's on the short side of the platoon. I know that like, and maybe this goes back to, you know, what it is to be a manager. Maybe that's the kind of thing where, Hyde is like, listen, I know Mountcastle. He will not take well to that. It mm-hmm, will be mm-hmm. the damage. Man, man management over statistic management. Yeah, and maybe the calculus is the damage that that would do in the clubhouse would outweigh the statistical Or maybe benefit. the calculus is also like, let's not overexpose O'Hearn. We're getting lucky in the few times we're rolling him out, and we know he can't maintain this in any way, shape, or form. Yes, but if I could, well, and to be fair, to be fair, if uh, I just pulled up his career splits against righties, um, and they are much lower than the triple slash that he's doing this year. Career against righties, he's hitting 230 with a 304 on base percentage and a 418 slugging, which is about what we're getting from Mountcastle. So maybe it wouldn't work as well 
as I'm thinking it would work. But some experimentation, at least for the first five innings against a dominant right-hander, is probably worth the worth the effort. Let's try it. Let's try it. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, Mountcast, a lot of Mountcastle at-bats are basically automatic outs. And he's, he, I mean, at least in that Cleveland series, he was the only thing stopping rallies. Everybody else was hitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it just, it's curious to me, I suppose, that this is not, it just seems like we're coming up with innovative ideas in so many other places on the roster, and it, it irks me that we so far do not seem to have a similar uh, vision here. Mm, mm. Well, speaking of um, Neanderthal <laughs> backwards facing visions, yes. shall we talk about uh, Clayton Kershaw? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can I just say, you know, I, in the vein of this, in the vein of this, I'm really glad that there is this conspiracy theory about the travel manager being fired for screwing up Cole Irvin's. Uh, travel for that last game against Cleveland because absent that context, it looks an awful lot like we fired a gay employee the day before Pride Month. <laughs> oh, he's gay. Yeah. Oh, bummer. Yeah. He wrote a whole uh, he wrote a whole piece about it last year when he came out about being gay in baseball. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So I really hope it's that he made a legitimate mistake and not that <laughs> we have a mm. cringe-inducing mm. uh, PR strategy. Yes, let's hope that. That would be um, completely unacceptable. Yeah, but Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I, think that, um, I think that the interesting thing for me to think about isn't actually the backwards ass um, bullshit from a couple of very famous people who are very good at throwing a ball hard. Um, And it isn't even the sort of (laughs) generic critique of the culture war such that like recognizing that gay people exist puts you permanently in a death battle against um, right wing extremists who are going to um, uh, boycott you, whether that's Bud Light or Ford or yeah. whatever other brand is um, doing their like yep. rainbow washing nonsense. Mm-hmm. I think that the most interesting piece for me is how much this has ruined the point of Pride Month. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Because instead of, I mean, you know, there was like, I have seen a couple of pictures of people like um, the the guy who, the rookie of the year last year, Rodriguez in Seattle, yeah. wearing, you know, rainbow colored love is love shirts and other other baseball players who are sort of using the moment to reflect on people with other sexualities mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, other than their own yeah. um, and their friends and, and, and loved ones and um, what they mean in their lives, which is, you know, 
if you if you strip away all of the rainbow washing I was talking about before, is sort of the goal yeah. of this moment, right? It is sort of a visibility moment. And it's just such a fucking bummer that the visibility that we are getting in this case is we Catholics who have been stepped on so long in this country must no longer be silent. Right. It's right. like, what a, what a, like, what a frustrating co-op of both the language of inclusivity, mm-hmm. which I thought was fascinating. Like the, you know, the language that these bigot baseball players are using is like the ballpark should be for everybody. Yeah. And then also of the moment of pride where like, the people who we um, love and care about and are also baseball fans and have never had a moment when they felt welcome at the ballpark or have, you know, that that's getting stepped on. Yeah. Um, And it makes me feel like um, there, you know, there should be something much stronger. Um, you know, the, the, it, I, I, I guess it, I guess it comes down to this, like, um, what are we shooting for when we talk about equity and inclusion? Are we mm-hmm. shooting for, you know, silently accepting and just not like saying anything is it, would it be okay with me if Clayton Kershaw just hadn't felt the need to spout off but he like kept his bullshit <laughs> inside and didn't say anything? Or are we actually shooting for, you know, some moment where these people who have this huge, huge, absolutely gigantic megaphone that is put in their face every day um, should, you know, in some way be forced to learn and 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 uh, experience something that could pun- puncture a hole in their Neanderthal reprobate worldview? Yeah, I mean. The thing I sort of default to with the Kershaw thing is I hope with the caveat that it is maddening and confusing to me that this whole queer people existing in the world culture war nonsense is one of those things that I thought we were done mostly with this one post, um, you know, the Supreme Court case in 2015 it, it really seemed like we had moved on and somehow a bunch of snowflakey mega dipshits being triggered by the very idea of transness has thrust it back into the spotlight and that is super disappointing but how crazy is it that like transness has now now we're relitigating like basically being gay yeah <laughs> it's so weird especially when <laughs> obviously you know, nobody who listens to this podcast needs to be told this, like, those aren't the same thing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No. Gender identity and sexuality, not the same thing thing in case anyone is confused. But, um... And apparently many people are, so good luck. My hope is that we have still made enough forward progress in this country that Kershaw publicly declaring himself to be a Neanderthal on this issue will result in enough diminished standing and fan affection for him. Because Dodgers fans are some pretty progressive folks, by and large. Mm -hmm. That he will suffer some consequences for it, either reputationally or um, whatever else. And that that 
I, I would like to think we have made enough progress so that so that it is net good for him to have said publicly, I am stupid about this thing. But also mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. beyond just him, the thing I really hope it starts a conversation about is this fundamental thing to your point that people who say stuff like he says never understand is like there's a difference between the kind of inclusivity inclusivity that queer people are talking about and the kind of inclusivity that conservative Christians are talking about. Queer people say, we would like to also be a part of culture, period. That's it. That's all they're saying. Chris, like hardline conservative Christians are saying, for us to be a part of culture and feel safe, even though we're not in danger, I added that part, you queer people need to hide your true selves so that we do not feel threatened. That's not inclusivity. That's not free speech. That's punching down. Exactly. <laughs> like, those are very different things. So the, it, it's a false equivalency. And the I would like... And, and a false equivalency that continues to co-opt the language of inclusion that yes. a bunch of very smart people have spent a very long time thinking about and building. Yeah. Yeah. And I just... Jeez. I don't know. I would love... I would love for some... Like, I do appreciate that the Dodgers went back, on, like, did go back on their, they, they re-invited the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, which is- They asked a nun, and the nun was like, no, man, we love what they do. They go out and clothe the, clothe the naked and feed the hungry. They're great. <laughs> right, right. And uh, it, it's just- it's so dumb. That, that's the main thing. It's so dumb that we're still talking about this. It's, <laughs> it's so, dumb. so dumb. Like, this is yeah. over. This has been over for a long yeah. time. Yeah. And it's also just so frustrating yeah. as a baseball fan because, you know, I, I was looking at his numbers after this all came up and memo Clayton Kershaw, like, ever since you started being publicly bigoted, your stats have taken a nosedive. <laughs> but broadly speaking, you know, if he stays healthy, Clayton Kershaw has an outside shot at getting to 3000 strikeouts this year. And obviously he's already a hall of famer, but like, I was looking forward to that. I was looking forward to getting to enjoy that as a baseball fan. And now I can't, even if he does get there, I'm not going to enjoy that. And that sucks. It's so disappointing. I, I, I do think it's also really sort of, um, I mean, to, to your to your point about false equivalencies, like I do think it's really interesting that we still have not had a um, second gay professional baseball player come out. Right. Yeah. Um, the come out there is is key. <laughs> oh, well, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because sure, we for got sure. them, but, but we of, just don't know who they are. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And we suspect, but, um, <laughs> um uh, let's get some clicks, Smith name names. <laughs> Who did we see at the bars in Soho this week? <laughs> um, I feel like the continued damage here, like, I don't know. I, I, I know a lot of Catholics. Um, I have, yet to meet a Catholic who would not attend a baseball game because there might be a gay person present. Um, I also know a lot of gay people and I do know gay people who would think twice about 
putting themselves in the crosshairs of a stadium full of 50,000 people if they knew that most of those people were going to be um, in some way sort of negative towards them, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which seems pretty, pretty reasonable to me. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I think baseball has done a lot of really interesting stuff in the last year to modernize the game um, and yeah. bring it sort of like from a play style way, more in line with the other three big sports and um, more sort of progressive in that regard. But boy, howdy, we're still, we're still flirting with the uh, worst things that the NFL could come up with in terms of um, political tomfoolery. Yeah. And the idea that like, you know, even capitalism can't do this. <laughs> like even Bud Light and Ford in their like smallest, um, most pitiable, uh, depressing little flag washing, um, moments still are not, um, breaking through to whatever this culture war calcification redrawing of lines is, um, bums me out, man, bums me out. Yeah. And it is, I have to say it, it, if there's a silver lining here, I think it's really interesting what you pointed out about younger players being way more publicly uh, supportive of pride initiatives and, and queerness, more broadly speaking. And the one thing I hope for is, and I'm sure I'm cherry picking here, but it does seem like most of the players who have publicly at least come forward to express bigoted views about this are old. <laughs> like Kershaw, Kershaw's an older dude. Trevor Williams, I just looked, is, is in his 30s. Um, like definitively uh, not Gen Z. And the new crop of baseball players are Gen Z. And mm. Gen Z people, I, I'm super duper generalizing here, but broadly speaking, by reputation, it seems to me like Gen Z is the first generation that has very much grown up in a world where post overfell. <laughs> yeah. And, and their attitudes about sexuality, the weirdly conservative when it comes to things like showing sex in movies, they're like, I, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to see it. Um, but That's which is funny. a separate conversation, but, um, but broadly speaking, their attitude about it seems to be much more like we just, we're done with this. Like we don't care. We recognize that it's a spectrum. Yes. Everybody's essentially pansexual. Like let's talk about something else. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And you know, there's just going to be more and more players from that generation filling up rosters so maybe we can look at the kershaw thing as like the last gasp of an old to to that mode of thinking right like to that very point like i i you know it's only three dudes (laughs) yeah right like it isn't it isn't like a big um big thing happening right now it's just like a it, it, it isn't all of baseball um maybe in, in the same way that like all of the NFL um, <laughs> yeah. reacted poorly to someone taking a knee on the field. Yeah. Um, so perhaps, perhaps this is more like a few 
a few a few bad apples who happen to be very very good at this sport um coloring things for me well it is just one of the many cultural mountains we have left to climb smith and you know it makes me think of a question that's that's been on my mind for days really which is speaking of climbing mountains i woke up in a cold sweat the other night thinking to myself what what would you call former Orioles outfield project prospect? I'm forgetting my lines. <laughs> Henry Urudia, if he was in the process of climbing um, a very tall Tibetan mountain. Kate. Rudia? Uh, that would work. That would work. I was gonna go I, I was gonna go Katmandu Rudia, but we can go with K2. All right, all right, all right, all right. Good. Actually K2 might not be in Tibet. Or might, I don't I don't know where K2 is. I don't so. I'm not sure Katmandu is either. And I apparently am capable of looking up Ryan O'Hearn's splits on the fly, but not uh, where Katmandu is. So I'm part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> It's in the Karakoram mountain range in Asia, K2. Oh, okay. Second tallest mountain in the world under under uh, Everest. Where is Kathmandu? <laughs> it is in Nepal. So, whoops. That's why that's why the question has been robbing me of sleep is because um, <laughs> It's because it's a geography question it's a ge- rather than a Henry Rudia pun. It's a geography question. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week, friends. Goodbye. Go O's. Baltimoreans. <laughs> <laughs>